HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today we'd like to send a special thank you to the Danny Meyer Restaurant Group, Union Square Cafe, Gramercy Tavern, Mayalino, and Untitled. Show your support at these restaurants by ordering one of the menu items featuring goat. Goat is the most eaten protein in the entire world, yet in the U.S. we import most of our goat. Our dairy farms are forced to kill some male goats at birth because there's no market for them. Help make a change. Support no goat left behind. So if you didn't hear that, we're going to be talking about punks today. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, the host of the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Here today with David Massoni and John Bush of Thistle Hill Tavern and soon-to-be-open Talday Restaurant, both in Park Slope. Um, talk a little bit about you guys and then get into you know, the punk scene. Uh, I don't know where he wants to start, but uh, yeah. we've... I mean, I, the story I always like to tell the most is that we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. There's lots to that story, but... We have been complaining about our bosses for years and years and years <laughs> and saying, if we ever uh, open our own place, this is how we do things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, then we opened up our own place. I mean, how many people actually follow through with that threat? Yeah, well, no. it, it kind of happened. It was really strange. It was, it, as I said, it's, it's a long story, but a, a really crazy path. I was about two months away from joining the SFPD Police Academy. Yeah. And then uh, my friend Mike was like, I don't want you to be a cop. How about I give you a bunch of money and you open a restaurant? <laughs> yeah. That, that's a felicitous little moment there. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, that's almost how it happens. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you grew up in California, Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, and then spent a whole bunch of time in San Fran working your way through 
kind of notorious bars. It, it's funny. Not so much in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco for about two and a half years. But I worked at this bar called the Club Deluxe, which was the epicenter of the swing movement, which was just the opposite of everything that I liked. What is that, like long chain zoot suits yeah. and all that? And yeah. like, you know, big band orchestras would come in. This like 18 yeah. piece bands would come in and play in this little bar. And uh, and then there was like this punk rock kid working there. Yeah. You know, just like, <laughs> why? Well, all you people. Yeah. You know, you guys are ridiculous. And then, you know, they're Aren't like. Aren't you supposed to put yourself in that situation yeah, then, as a punk anyway? I guess. Yeah. And then they were like going, why does this guy work here? Yeah. <laughs> so, Excellent. What kind of music were you listening to at that time? At that time, I mean, it was like, you know, I went through the whole punk thing in the 80s. And then I went and lived abroad for a long time. And I came back. And it was, you know, I was really kind of like. Look at me all my through my youth, and then as soon as I hit like eighteen, nineteen, I was like, nobody look at me. I want to just be normal, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. But I mean, like I was always a big fan of like California hardcore, you know, yeah. Black Flag. I mean, I was as much as I hate to admit it to Mike, I was a huge No Effects fan, and yeah, like, I just, <laughs> wasn't really. But yeah. no, I love you guys, and I still unfortunately listen to No Effects pretty yeah. much every day when I'm getting up. It's like my I'm gonna go out tonight. I'm gonna throw these songs yeah. on and get pumped. Well, we'll talk about No Effects a little bit more cool. later. Um, from punk to food, sure. the coalescing of music and cuisine. David, you spent years in restaurants, the Batali Empire, right. um, working with uh, the Dentons at yep. uh, Enoteca. Where did your food fascination start? It, it started with my parents. I, I um, come from a, a, a very uh, proud Italian father, uh, Italian-American father, who um, didn't have anybody really pushing cuisine on him, so... Instead of going for like the Italian American roots, he actually wanted to always go back to the source and you know try to make Italian dishes at home and um, and uh, as a side project to my mom and dad's career, when I was fourteen, they bought a hotel and restaurant yeah in uh, Maryland, and so I already had this idea of what good food was supposed to be, and then I had the experience of actually getting to work in it and every single night go out you know and try to put together this you know great meal and this great experience for people um and uh you know it 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 just stuck it, i didn't know it was what i was always going to do at the time but i knew i loved it from day one yeah when did you come from maryland to new york um the the place like i said was never my mom and dad's career and they sold it when i was 21 and uh the day they sold it, I moved to New York. I, I sold my Mustang and uh, packed I thought up. You were going to say mustache for a second. No. <laughs> sold my Mustang um, and uh, packed up everything I had and moved to New York. And I was convinced when I moved to New York in 1996 that I was going to walk into either Danielle, Felidia, or John George or one of the restaurants of that nature. You didn't care or, about last names? No. <laughs> and, and get a job as a, an assistant manager day one. Yeah. Um, and everybody said to this 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid, you know, go out and get some New York City experience and come back and talk to us in a couple of years. Yeah. But one of the great people that told me that was Joe Bastianich. And uh, he didn't hire me at Felidia, but he said, go downtown go learn downtown, go to Soho, go to the village, go to the East Village, and try to find a place that's like the type of place that you want to own someday and work there and give them your blood, sweat, and tears until you figure out what it is you want to do. And that, that's kind of what I, I did. Yeah, that is uh, so converse of 
you know, John working in places that he hated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was just know. one place. Yeah. yeah, that was just one place. Yeah. And I tell that with a grain of salt. I yeah. mean, as much as I hated it, I learned so much there. And I mean, the first thing I learned is how much money you can make bartending. And yeah. luckily through bartending, I got so much freedom to do all the traveling I've done or go on tour with bands or get to do what I wanted but without working all day, every day. Yeah. And, and I've always been a night creature, I've, you know. So that worked out pretty well. And I, I do like the drink. I, yeah. you know, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I am a fan of the alcohol. Yeah. So it, it all worked out pretty nice for me. We, and we both share Irish and American, uh, Irish and Italian roots. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really funny to me because me and Dave are both half Irish, half Italian, and how much he really grasped onto the Italian side of my family. Yeah. And I really grasp onto the Ita- Irish side of my family. So we keep talking, we have them all, you can have the Italian, I'll keep all the Irish, <laughs> right. and that works yeah. out real good. So, it's funny, uh, this little tavern's Mediterranean, kind of European or pan-European food. Yeah. Have you ever thought of opening up, like, an Irish-Italian place? No. Oh, there it is. Well, I, <laughs> we, we talk a lot about an Italian place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we talk about an Italian place a lot. Like, my dream upon dream that someday, and I know it might take a little while, but I want to open up an old man's sports bar. Yeah. Like a place that my dad used to hang out in, you know? But it's classy. I don't want Coors Light's posters on the walls and neon everywhere. I want, like... That rad 70s, I, even if I can get like old TVs, I'd do it, you know, and just have, yeah. but have sports on. Yeah. And when the game's off, you turn it off. And then it's still just an old dive where you can still get a $4 shot of Cuddy Sark. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and, and that's his dream, but it's mine too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> you know, it, it, I think we're going to indulge each other along the road if we're so lucky to be able to keep doing this. And, and, and I hope we are, but you know. That is something we want to do desperately. Opening a, a you know a trattoria someday is something that we both desperately want to do. And we have a couple other ideas. I don't know if we're going to talk about. We have, yeah. we have, a, yeah. we have one really good idea. That are I they restaurant it, related, or are they something that you really can't talk about? Probably. It's all restaurant food. bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we have one more idea that I think is probably going to be the next one. Yeah, yeah. I think is that the Dale idea? Yeah, yeah. The, the three of us sat around one night and. We it, was, really it was a great, great, it was a great brainstorming yeah, session. Yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. Yeah. But Dale is Dale Talde of yeah, that's uh, right. Top Chef fame, who you are opening a restaurant with that's soon. Right. Let's talk about that. It, it sounded very interesting because it's not your typical just Asian restaurant. It's Asian accents. Yeah, um, and with a chef's table, it's so different from what you have at Thistle Hill. It, it, it is. It, at the end of the day, the, the feel and the vibe of the place, we want to be similar to Thistle Hill and that being a neighborhood joint. Now, it's going to be a neighborhood joint that's got a whole lot of very cool bells and whistles. Um, but to, to, to talk about how we got to that cuisine is we, we just wanted to build a restaurant around Dale. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Dale through a couple of other like brainstorming, you know, ideas of, of what his menu was going to be and who he is and, and, and the mark that he wants to make on, on the, you know, culinary landscape of New York is I'm an Asian American. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of cuisine out there that is, you know, blank American, Italian American, Jewish American. And why can't there be Asian American? Cause he, he's got a very specific viewpoint of being, you know, a first-generation Filipino American yeah. who sought out to be a chef, wanted to be a chef, wanted to cook. That's all he ever wanted to do. He didn't fall back on it, and he wanted to cook Asian food. And he pretty much sought out every single Asian cuisine that he could work in. And he loves and, Frank's hot sauce. So, and you know, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. You got to put dishes around things you love. Yeah, and he loves American bacon, and he loves 
Popeye's fried chicken and he loves, you know, all these things that he grew up with being an American kid. Yeah. Well, I saw a quote on New York Magazine that he said something about how much he hates the F word. And by that, he meant fusion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he hates the, what it has become. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, I completely agree. And hearing your paths and your stories, um, it, it's this collective thing of experiences. And that's know? what fusion is. Yeah. Man. yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's not but just... even I. I mean, I, it, it's the same thing whenever, it, like, I feel like I'm an old school bartender. And whenever I hear the word, like, oh, he's a mixologist, I want to shoot myself. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly the yeah. same thing. But Tom I'm just told like, me ah. not to use the word mixologist, but I started to bring yeah. up mixologist. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Nothing makes me angrier. Yeah. I yeah. mean, literally nothing makes me angrier. Yeah. And I'll go to places and I go, oh, that's a really good drink. But yeah. I just had to wait 20 minutes and it cost me $20. Yeah, that's not bartending. Damn it. Yeah. What's yeah. your most expensive drink, and uh, what's your most complex one that you make? My most expensive drink is twelve dollars, but it's also with top shelf booze. I mean, it, yeah. it, we're not making a killing off of it. Yeah. I mean, if it was twenty dollars, we'd be making a killing off of it. Uh, that would probably be our Thistle Hill ta- our Thistle Hill cocktail. Yeah. And our most complex is actually a drink that I'm pretty proud of. Our Howard Hughes. Like I, it was a drink called the Aviator. Yeah. That I. But I tasted it, and I'm like, mm, that's good, but there's something missing. And I just kept messing with it and messing with it. And then all of a sudden, I changed the booze. I changed the concept. I think the only thing it still has in it is lemon juice and soda from yeah. the original drink. But, man, is it good. I'm like, a sucker for creme de violette. What did you replace? Oh, no. I put it, 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 Actual chip. Actual chip. Do I want to tell? Yeah, I mean, sure. It's yeah. kind of a secret. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, next thing I know, these mixologists are going to steal yeah. my drink. Uh, I, I, these Italian marinated cherries, these brandy cherries. Yeah. That fresh mint and a vanilla bitters muddled together. I tried it with vodka at first, and I was like, mm, that's good. And then out of nowhere, I was like, let's try gin. And it just, that was it. Yeah. That, those two flavors combined so good. That it's a, it's it's a pain in the ass to make. Yeah, but, and, and at the time I, I we at the time it. we had aviation gin, and we knew of this old drink, the Aviator, and Howard Hughes, you know, yeah. as the name for it, just you know, was kind of perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I call it the Mila Ale Heart with uh, vodka. Yeah, <laughs> but, and and all of the bartenders that work for us hate that drink. Yeah, because there's a lot to it. Yeah, it's know? the hardest drink to make. Yeah, yeah, and it's the most the drinks we make so the most. Everybody right. go to Thistle Hill Tavern, order that cocktail. Yes, piss John off a little bit. <laughs> John said this is the best drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> order that. I go. I'm John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more about your paths. Uh, what I find interesting is where was the meeting point? I mean, where did you guys cross? Yeah, it, it, it's a fun story. I mean. My, my, my godbrother, if you will, my mom is his godmother. His mom is my godmother. Is a, a guy named Max Huber, and uh, on the music tip, Max was the uh, guitarist for the Swinging Utters, and at eighteen, uh, moved to uh, California. No, he's telling. He's he's missing the big, big part. <laughs> Max got into some trouble. trouble yeah. yeah, and his Air parents hook. sent him to uh, California to go live with his uncle to get him away from the trouble. Yeah. And he got thrown out of like one of the most prestigious uh, private schools in Washington D.C., and he was totally part of that that little punk scene that was happening in in D.C. of like Fugazi and yeah. you know Minor Threat and uh, being a Screen fan of those bands, yeah. you know. Um, and he found a, a little magazine that me and John my friends made. made we made yeah. a little fanzine, a little fanzine. called yeah. Boots and Booze. Boots yeah. and Booze. Yeah, yeah. 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 It would be basically it was ridiculous, <laughs> but. Uh, 
He found this magazine, and I don't know. It was a ridiculous magazine. I cannot believe how many people in the world go, oh, my God. I remember you're, that. You're little John from Boots and Booze. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. Like, I made that at Kinko's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, we, he had it. He got it. You know, in, a, in our little small world at the time, in the 80s. It, and they became best friends. He wrote, us he, a, he wrote us me a letter. Yeah. Like, hi, my name is Max. I'm from D.C. I just moved here. I don't know anybody. Here's my phone number. I don't have any friends. And I was like... Okay. Called the dude, and pretty much right away, we were like best friends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, John he, he, John got married this past weekend, and Max was his best man, yeah. and, and likewise, John was the best man in his wedding. But Max was like my big brother. Yeah. I had always been. More than to say he was like a cousin, he was like my big brother. Um, and when he knew that I had moved to New York, he... Uh, we ran into each other at Thanksgiving dinner back home in Maryland, and he said, "You know, have you made any friends in New York yet?" And I said, "You know, Max, I'm, I'm so I've been so busy working." And he said, "Well, do yourself a favor, go to Niagara at the corner of Seven and A, and there should be a bartender there named John Bush. Introduce yourself to him, and you know he's going to be a lifelong friend." And he was right. I mean, yeah. that was 1996 yeah. that I walked into Niagara and introduced myself to John, and. Uh, you know, yeah. we're you know been friends ever since, yeah. and and always tried to stay in each other's circle. You know, um, John had a, a huge group of friends in the East Village, and I had my restaurant friends. But we were always trying to bring them together. Um, you know, whether it was me going to his bar for free drinks or him coming to the restaurant I was working at for, you know, I'm sure old cheaper bosses food. of cheaper food, cheaper <laughs> food. Um, but really like riffing off what each other was doing. Uh, so much so that, you know, when I went to go open um, Oto, Oto Pizzeria at 1 Fifth Avenue for Mario Batali, um, John said, do you have room for, like, a part-time bartender two days, three days a week? I want to learn restaurant bartending, and I want to learn more about wine, and I want to learn more about food. And John Which was I one, did. Yeah, and John I was still one. only drink Italian wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and John was one of the opening bartenders working with uh, our old friend Dennis Mullally, but... Uh, um, you know, over the years, we talk about, like, as John started this, you know, the bosses that we didn't like or the way things were done in places that we would have done better. and Yeah, things wrong. Yeah. Dirty bathrooms. Bad bathrooms. I swear yeah. to God, that's where it started. <laughs> you know, I, I still, to this day, even before we ever opened a restaurant in my life or thought about opening a restaurant, I would go into a place and I'd walk into the bathroom and I'd go, I like this place. Yeah. yeah. It literally was the bathroom. It was all about the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> And it still is. I still walk into places and I go look at the bathroom. And I go, yeah. "Ooh, good job." How's the bathroom at this they, they did. Oh, it's immaculate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I cool sleep too. on the floor. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's that good. People come out and they're like, "Wow, you guys put a lot of attention into the bathroom." Uh-huh. Yeah, and that goes to it. You know, as far as like you know, what we started no- realizing that each other liked so many of the same things. We had we had never talked about opening a bar or <laughs> restaurant together. Yet anytime we'd be out, it would be. One of us would come out of, and uh, we got to get out of the bathroom here, but one of us would come out of the bathroom and be like, did you see their soap, you know, dispenser? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. No. What, what does it look like? Go. Go look at it. Or just sit there you know, at or, the bar feeling the wood. Go, ooh, this is a yeah. really, really nice. I like the way that they did this in the bar. Oh, look at that bucket. Yeah. So you look guys, where they put their tap. Oh, that's a, ah, this place is, like, yeah. these people are smart. I think I make those mental notes. I check for hooks underneath every bar. Totally. Oh, totally. my God. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, if you don't have hooks. You blew it. I'll never come back. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> you blew it. Yeah. Got one drink and I'm out of yeah. there. So, I mean, the restaurant also seems like to me... Um, if you didn't do that, you guys would be like 
bath remodelers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and come right back. But I want to I want to talk about Niagara because it's a place yeah. I think I've been to a lot of times. And I stress, I think. Uh, well, if, I th- <laughs> if I threw you out, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Now it's Bob going to do now that he can't drink. The doctor said, what you been thinking about? Bob said, that's the point. I won't think about nothing. Now I gotta do something else. Oi, oi, oi! Food scene on heritageradionetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Dave Missoni and John Bush from Thistle Hill Tavern. And we just listened to No Effects' is Bob. Um, Fat Mike, No Effects, is actually a proprietor of Thistle Hill Tavern. And you said you have a funny story about uh, that I, song. I, I have a funny story. They were out here for my wedding. Me and Mike have been uh, really close for a long time. And he was talking about, oh, we got to do, you know, No Effects are going to start doing a new record. I've been doing some writing. And yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I've been part of No Effects family for a long time. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's been kind of weird trying to write new records. I'm like, well, write another song about me. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Like, let's bring it back to me. I like it when you do stuff. And he's like, ah, you already got two. I'm like, well, how about you do this? Because, you know, I'm getting older. My body's kind of starting to hurt. Like, one of these days, my doctor's going to tell me I have to quit drinking. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous about that day. I'm trying to... And I was like, what you should do is just rewrite Bob and just change it to John. Same lyrics, but just John, call it John. And yeah. he's like, I might do that. Yeah. yeah. I might just do that. They, just a Mad Lib app that someone can just say their name in that song. Oh, that, yeah, see, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be too bad. I'm telling you. There, so there, what two no effect songs are about you? Well, my, there's uh, My Friend in New York, which is a, it's a side B of the 45 collection. I don't know how many people know or got that. And then uh, Cruel and Unusual Punishment is written about a night that me and Mike had in Tokyo. <laughs> it was uh, of the AM. L- just... Listen to the, the, the lyrics <laughs> yeah. and you'll know what I'm talking about. Awesome. But I was there and uh, it's led Mike onto a new lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go and re-listen to that. Um, but I want to get back to Niagara. 
because Niagara was a really cool place. I mean, it still is. It was, but it was it was an epicenter of it was everything. Yeah. In the oh, it was, it was everything. Yeah, yeah. It, for ten yeah. years, it was Niagara was a mecca. I mean, I would say the first five years that we were open. I mean, God, probably more than that. Every single rock band that played in New York after party. I mean, yeah. like for for no no joke. Yeah. For, a solid six, seven years. It was like, you know, I mean, everything from Kiss would come in and Ace Frehley would come by <laughs> after the show and he'd love it because he'd sit at the bar and have no makeup on and nobody would know who he was. <laughs> and my, and my, my, my two bosses would be losing their mind going, he doesn't pay for anything. Yeah. You know, that'd be like, who, who is that? One of the beauties also about Niagara and only if you were there did you know, when those gates came down, they literally blocked out every single solitary ounce of sunlight. Well, there, there was the mail slot. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when the, so the mail, party when the literally mail slot could keep hit, going. Oh, yeah. And it, and it did. And it did. It did. Like, I, you know, I worked there for 13 years. And, uh, like, I full-time for 13 years. And, uh, you know, the owners there were just great to me. They, I mean, they really let me come and go. And, you know, when I left, they gave me my favorite Bob Gruen framed picture of the clash 85 boston arena yeah like my favorite photo and they're like you know i can't give you a gold watch but we're gonna give you this picture (laughs) well that's what's so cool about it too it's a reliquary with all that imagery on the wall of you know the better musical times well i mean you know it's it's as much as i still love new york and 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 it's it's the east village has turned into the reason i opened a place in brooklyn because brooklyn reminds me a little bit of the old New York. It reminds me a little bit of Santa Cruz. It's yeah. like a community. It's like, I mean, when I worked at Niagara, first opened up, I knew everybody on the block. I, I would say, hi the bodega guy. I knew the, everybody on every restaurant. I knew every bartender on the block. It was felt more of a community. And that's exactly how Thistle Hill and 7th Avenue feels to me again, where I know every, I walked on this, I get off the train, hey, hey, how yeah. are you? Shaking hands, kissing babies. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how do you find Park Slope? It's funny because, Dave, you were saying that you actually lived in an apartment a couple blocks from Roberta's back right. in the mid to late 90s. Yeah, 90, 98 to 2000. And yeah. this neighborhood was really scary. Yeah. Really scary. But the entire time that I've lived in New York, it's always been Brooklyn. Um, when my wife and I got together, she had the cheaper apartment in Astoria. So I did about nine months in Astoria. But other than that, it was always Brooklyn. And for the most part, other than two years here in Bushwick, it was always Park Slope. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I lived together for six years in Park Slope. I started out in Park Slope. And uh, my wife and I have been in Park Slope now for about six years, five, six, five years. Um, and uh, it, it feels like home. One of the things somebody said to me early on when I first moved to New York was people that move to New York from somewhere else to try to make it their home and move to Manhattan are always talking about when they're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and people that move to New York from somewhere else and move to Brooklyn are never talking about leaving. And that's how it was for me. Yeah. So, And you had this neighborhood in your heart. Mm-hmm. But you had to bring a lot into this restaurant, too. Sure. And, uh, I had to convince Rebecca Weitzman, our chef yeah. partner, to come out. Oh, I'll never forget when you took me out the first time. I was like, oh, I, I really like the space of Park Slope. <laughs> and John lived in Williamsburg, yeah. so and everything was about Williamsburg. You yeah. know? Williamsburg was white hot. You know, That's where you have to open a restaurant. Um, and it still is. But one of our things was, do we really want to go through the headaches of trying to get a liquor license in Williamsburg? Do we, you know, one of the re- reasons why we're moving away from Manhattan is because, you know, the oversaturation and, and that, you know, you're starting to see that a little bit on the streets in Williamsburg. And 
Park Slope just felt right. Well, and it was the location. I mean, it, I don't know if you've seen our place. But, oh, that corner, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I remember look, it was I, Olive Vine, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still look at it, and I'm in, I'm in love with that the, the location. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love our place. I look at it like I want to lie and kiss the floors and kiss the walls. <laughs> the and bathroom floor, too. I, mean, right. I, I, I could live in there. Yeah. I mean, I could, and I'd probably be cleaner. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it, it, it really, I, I was never so happy to be wrong. In my life, than make than than making the decision to open up in Parks Up. I yeah. mean, I really, really like the people. Yeah. So it, I, I'm just going to get on one point because John just said something that I think is the reason why we've been great partners so far is because we don't care when we're wrong with each other. Yeah. Because if I'm wrong, then that means he's right, and vice versa. You know, and 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 neither one of us have an ego about that with each other. Other people, different story. Is, is, is that why you guys chose not to go with designers and build a restaurant yourselves? <laughs> well, I mean, we don't, we don't have the money for yeah. designers. <laughs> designers. How much do they cost? Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, you know? And, yeah. and, and it also goes back to the thing that we were saying before, you know, we've been talking about other people's design forever before we ever knew we were going to do this. And the idea of can we do this can we can we design it we can can't we yeah yeah we know what we like you know well i mean just on the pure fact i mean early 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 on on thistle hill we were both just like i want to make a place that looks like it's always been here yeah i mean that was me and him were on it. point yeah. on yeah. there and then i didn't i still haven't read it but you said that the zagat guy thing said, yeah, our, said yeah. you know the, the, yo that this place has been here for a year and a half you know but it feels like it's been there for yeah but it feels like it's been here for yeah. i was just like yes <laughs> exactly you know like old I, I hope it's there forever yeah you know what i mean i hope it's there for the next i hope i'm dead and buried in the bathroom i don't know i like i hope it's there forever because yeah. it's amazing because that's what we tried to make it look like yeah. is that it should be there forever and, and it's the perfect size and yeah. it's just just a beautiful place well like, a lot of the materials too are older it's not new construction you went upstate and salvaged for a oh while. yeah i mean we salvaged some stuff and then like we found like our walls were literally six inches of of plaster and then a fake brick wall and we're like what and we on both sides and we tore them both down and there's these beautiful brick walls our yeah. our exposed brick wall was covered with a faux brick wall yeah, yeah it's it's unbelievable it's uh, you know the, the 60s and 70s were a bad time in new york obviously yeah but uh and then you know our, our floor was this awful green tile that was terrible and then we tore a wall down and we saw this beautiful and we have the most beautiful wood floors it's like we like just found it and really put pump, pump life back into yeah. this beautiful location. I'm still waiting for someone in Brooklyn to you know tear down the foe and you know rip up the floor and find that Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant right. thing oh, going right. on. It, it might happen, like Templar. Yeah, you'd be digging out a basement one day and find a like a bag of silver. Yeah, yeah. I'm, one of the cool things though about like turning these spaces back into something, and it's what we've done with Taldi as well, and it, it's. It came from a little bit of our own knowledge of what the neighborhood was like. But since we've opened Thistle Hill, all these old timers from the neighborhood have come in and told us, one, you did a great job, but do you know what used to be here? Oh, yeah. The history is pretty amazing. What used to be here? Well, before televisions, before everybody had a TV at home, and this wasn't just Brooklyn, but definitely that's the neighborhood we're in. Every single corner from Greenwood Cemetery to Flatbush Avenue and 7th Avenue had at least one bar every corner and it was because that's all there was to do at night you'd get out of work go home eat dinner with the wife and kids and then go to the corner bar or it was really like the the irish english vibe where it was like 
you took the family out on Friday and Saturday night. You ate, but your dad stayed and got drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and our space at Thistle Hill had been, it when the building was first built, it was a bar, a watering hole. There was an Irish couple that owned it. Um, and then when the husband died, the wife tried to keep it going, and there was a gang in the neighborhood called the Tigers, and they were the Irish gang. Yeah. And this they, was they, in the 50s. Were, yeah, they were the only gang with pistols. Yeah. That was oh, really? the word on I was going to say, because there are so many Tigers in Ireland. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, well, they, took it, they yeah. took it over, and it was their social club for a while. And then it became a store, and then it became something else, and then it became the Olive Vine. No, no, it was a, it was a bar in the 80s. Yeah. I remember we found that that stone M- Mamondo's or something yeah, like that Mamondo's bar and supposedly the guy was a crazy person he lived in the basement yeah. and he bartended upstairs which actually kind of sounds nice to me but, you know. and then when we started doing uh, Taldi um, another corner on 7th Avenue um, somebody said to me who came, an, another old timer that came in for lunch said you know that's that space that you took is Radigan's and, uh, and yeah. I said Radigan's and she was like you know Pete Hamill's book A Drinking Life oh really and it was. Pete Hamill's book, A Drinking Life, yeah. was his memoir. And it was his memoir about growing up on 7th Avenue. And his dad's watering hole, his dad's local, where he, where Pete, as a young man, learned to drink, was our space. Yeah. And it was called Radigan's. And so... I just knew it as a dry cleaner when I yeah. looked over there. Yeah. 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 It was but a dry cleaner for almost 30 dry years. Cl- dry cleaner of all time. Yeah. yeah. I would sit in there and just watch the shirts go up on that rack and uh, see how long it took Took my... for yours to get down. Yeah. yeah. I just and, remember they had the giant fish. They still yeah. have it. I'm trying to buy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need that for a back bar somewhere yeah. at some time. Yeah. This idea of local, you know, everyone pushes forward local, sustainable. Sure. But there is another thing about local where it is involving and bringing the locals in to make it feel like a neighborhood rather mm-hmm. than just preaching about those values. And mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like you guys have really accomplished that. And that's not always the easiest thing either. And I don't mean to accomplish it, but to keep that going. Because one of the things that we really preached to the staff when we opened and things took off the way they did at Thistle Hill was, guys, you need to realize that the community is going to think of this place as theirs. Yep. And we want them to. And that's not always easy, you know, it, it, from, a, from a service standpoint. We want people to feel so comfortable that they think of Thistle Hill as their place. And, and they do. And one of the things that's nice about that is, you know, we're, we're really happy to share it with them. Um, you know, John and I joke about the fact that just since we started construction there, we're watching kids grow up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kids that come in with their families, we're watching them grow up. We're seeing dads that came in. I mean, uh, the, more than one have came in and been like, I just had a, a child. And I'm like, oh, man, uh, Buy I, a this shot. shot's on me. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's coming in with that kid. Now that kid's talking and yeah. walking and being loud. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to be Uncle John to a lot? <laughs> I'd love to be a good uncle. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love the kids. Yeah. Uh, wait, I take that back. I love other people's kids. Yeah. <laughs> The space, also being this local, uh, you know, watering hole, also have this ethos about local sustainable food. Sure, um, I'm sure from your years in Batali uh, yeah. and you know with the Dentons, that helped. But you also spent a lot of time in Italy. Yeah, uh, I spent I spent almost a year living in Italy. Yeah, for one stretch, but also my my mom and dad have been taking me and my brother and sister to Italy for you know, you know, family vacations and summer trips. And I've always had a huge, you know, uh, love for everything Italian. Um, but that year of living there really made me see how um, 
you know, sustainability has been practiced for eons, you know, because it was the only way to do it, not because it was cool or it was a movement. Um, And uh, it just makes sense on so many different levels. And um, it's something that our partner Rebecca believes in. It's something that our partner Dale believes in. Um, And it's something that we believe in. And, And, you know, just two years ago, front of house guys didn't really have a chance to make their mark on the whole local sustainable movement. You know, everything came from either Southern or empire or something like that. We now get gin dropped off by local gin makers. We now get bitters made by, you know, and they're hard to track down and, you know, we're out. out. I'm out. I'm trying to make more, but that's now a chance for front of house guys to start making their mark too. And, you know, and people order it. I mean, that's the thing that that I get really excited about is, you know, I have a, a I have a drink called the Brooklyn Gin and Tonic, and it's made with the Brooklyn Gin, and it's made with Q Tonic that's made here in Brooklyn. Yeah, and it's one of the and it says it on the menu, and it's one of the most popular drinks. It's well, like, and people, people walk up to the bar and never ask what beers do you have on draft. They say what are your local drafts. Yeah, yeah, it, you, it's, you really see it like. People love to be from Brooklyn. Yeah. And eat and drink stuff from Brooklyn. And we and took that to, to the Brooklyn. building side too when we were we were building Thistle and when and as we're in the finishing stages of construction on Taldi now, any chance that we've ever had to keep it local from needing new glass for windows, let's use a local guy, you know, from uh ironwork, uh metalwork, um wood, anything that we could buy local we did, you know. Um when I worked in, in Manhattan, White Plains Linen was the big linen company to oh, yeah. use. Well, Aero Linen is three blocks from us. It was a no-brainer. That's who we're using, you know? Um, any chance that we can get to buy something from somebody that's a, another Brooklyn business person, you know, we do. And not because it's cool, but just because it it just feels the right thing to do. You well, know? and it builds on the neighborhood. Yeah. And you also build relationships with these people. And it's like they're working their asses off just like we are. And... Hopefully someday we're all gonna be rich and going. Those guys are good guys. They, you know, they were with us from the beginning. Yeah, and we'll be like, we've been with them for years. You yeah. know, so like, I want that to happen. I want to have that history. I like that. Yeah. Old, it's. I mean, as much as I hate using the word old school, it's old school. It you is know? old it's school. Like bring it back. Yeah, yeah old school's the new. Is the, the new new, new school. school right? Yeah, old school. Right. And yeah, I love that movie. I love you, Dad. <laughs> Which? Oh. <laughs> I wanted to get back to. Um, a little bit about how you've become better bosses because you were talking about how you know you saw how other restaurants did it and you complained about other bosses what have you changed in yourselves to mm. manage a better staff we're an incredible parenting team team yeah yeah unfortunately i'm the woman yes <laughs> uh I'm no J- J- john is mom i'm dad um as far as our, our relationship to our staff yeah um and and that just kind of happened naturally. It wasn't anything we decided on. Uh, I've just been managing people longer, um, and so and, and I come from a very strict father. And John is you know the only child of a single hippie mom, so it it, it kind of all just worked out that way. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, and it's something we both believe um, is keep your staff as happy as humanly possible. At least I do that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in any way that you can, you know, if, if somebody's having a, you know, a hard time with their boyfriend or girlfriend, take the night off, you know, or you've got a smaller section tonight and everyone else has to run a little bit harder or, you know, um, 
you know, somebody needs to buy, you know, a, 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 a confirmation dress for their daughter, you know, like, all right, we'll pay for it, you know, and, you know, we, we, we take that from our dishwashers to our managers to our cooks to our other bartenders, you know, anything we can do to make your life a little bit easier is has to, in our minds, translate to you're going to take care of our customers. Yeah. Better. And it's not that hard. Yeah. I, it's like, I, that's the one thing that I've always had complaints with owners sometimes is it's like something that would be, you know, so small but would make my life so much easier. Why aren't you doing this? Like, you know, I need the day off. Can't have the day off. But Why? Just work. because I can't? Just because it's like a power play. And I don't think we do yeah. that. Like, I'm making a decision because that's my decision. It might not be the right decision, but it's my decision. I don't think we do that very often. Yeah. yeah. And we've always tried to keep an open door policy of allowing our staff to feel like they can come and tell us when we're wrong. When they think that when they disagree or they see another way to do it than the way that we're doing it. And sometimes we'll say, no, you know, we've worked our butts off to get where we are and we're going to do it this way or, or no way. But for the most most part, we listen to them and, and, and find out what, what viewpoint they have and, 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 and empower them sometimes, too, you know, from the standpoint of there's no way I can know all of our regular customers. Charlie knows a group of regular customers. Stacy knows a group of regular customers. Bethany knows a group of regular customers. Bobby. And we empower them to say, you know what, this person's been in three times this week. You know, let's do something nice for them, you know, and, and, and it works. Wow, so trust yes. is in restaurants? Uh, well, it happens. It can yeah. be. Yeah. It can be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, he definitely went through the corporate restaurant and I went through working for friends for yeah. a long time. And, you know, there, I think there's a, it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes working for your friends is a lot better and you can count and trust. And then sometimes working for your friends is rough on both of you. Uh, and I, I think that since we both did both the ways we did it, it makes us better partners and better bosses. Because there's plenty of times I'll just be like, no, dude. Like, yeah. yeah I, you don't talk to me like that. I got this. And then, or you got that. Like, I don't want to talk to that person. Yeah. And he's this aunt right there, you know? Yeah. It works really well. So what's kind of awesome is you walk into this little tavern, and this is not a play. I mean, this is real. Yeah. What you're hearing, these attitudes, yeah. this, uh, you know, jubilance uh, put forth. Yeah happens there as well so if yeah. you've not been to Thistle Hill Tavern go Tal Day opening up in November yep go check out the neighborhood which you guys are really I'll be help nurturing I'll make you a great drink yeah. yes <laughs> and drink it with you <laughs> excellent you've been listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.com Dave and Sony John Bush Thistle Hill Tavern Tal Day check them out have you back here next Tuesday at 3 cheers thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following message has been brought to you by Taste Brooklyn. 
Our city's finest chefs partner with farmers and local vineyards next to the Green Market for an extraordinary outdoor culinary festival. Try exquisite delicacies using locally grown seasonal delights on the plaza outside Brooklyn's Borough Hall. Top chefs and artisans will offer sumptuous fare paired with premium wines, all to empower our neediest children to get healthy. The mighty FDNY and DSNY harbor their own culinary masters in uniform. They will cook off against the pros. Sample delicious cuisine without stressing over a reservation while supporting a worthy cause. Taste Brooklyn's Field to Fork Outdoor Culinary Festival, Saturday, October 15, 2011, from 11.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Learn more and buy tickets at tastesofbrooklyn.blogspot.com. That's T-A-S-T-E-S-O-F-Brooklyn.blogspot.com.